You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is a full panel of freelance writer Tom Chick. Uh, hello. If anyone wants a coffee, let me know. I'm, I'm running low on actual coffee beans, though, so I may not be able to get one for everyone. Freelance writer Julian Murdoch. So is, is this a is this a is this a sign of the freelance business really being terrible that you can't even afford beans for your expensive coffee maker? Yeah, exactly. The slow summer, you know. Once the holiday rolls around and all the holiday releases, I'll be rolling in coffee beans. I rolling in arabica. Do we have a song bed. for that? <laughs> Sorry, say again. Rolling in arabica. Do we have a song for that? Tell exactly. Hip hop song. And Dr. Bruce Garrick. I have a McDonald's unsweet iced tea. <laughs> Wow. Which is pretty much the opposite of good coffee. Actually, McDonald's makes good coffee. That's a that's a dirty little secret amongst coffee drinkers. Well, Dunkin' uh, Donuts makes good coffee. They do as well. You know what? It's really hard you can't these find days. A Dunkin' Donuts anywhere. It, it's really hard these days to get a bad cup of coffee. Hmm. Oh, come to my house. I'll help you out. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that guy talking? We yes. have we have someone on the line, Troy. We have a caller. Yeah, that voice out of the wilderness is our special guest for today from Lock and Load Publishing. It is uh, independent war game designer Mark Walker. Mark, I'm glad you could join us. Hey, I'm glad to be here. I'm looking forward to talking with you guys. Oh, he says that now. Yeah. Wait till I <laughs> You've never heard our show, have you? <laughs> Mark is not just an independent game developer. He's one of us who has gone over to the other side. That's right, Mark. You used to be a games journalist, right? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I uh, spent many, many years writing uh, columns, reviews, and uh, even strategy guides. So before you tell us, Mark, about what you're working on now, can you tell us a little bit about how you made that jump? What what happened? Why did you leave us? Uh, It was actually very easy uh, to make the jump, and the jump didn't go from writing about video games to uh, being uh, the head of the development here for the lock and load game. The the jump was actually from writing about video games to publishing board games. And then as part of the publishing board games, we were lucky enough to have a a fairly successful title called Lock and Load and to get the funding to turn that into a computer game. So that's how it came about. Mm -hmm. So what drove you from games journalism? Was it a bad editor? Was it bad no. writers? Was it, was it the internet? No, you know, it was my satellite connection. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, I, I don't want to bore you all to tears with too long an answer, but uh, it, it was, and I, I bet we all share this one thing. When we look at most games, uh, especially the ones that are pretty darn good but aren't great, and it's that we think that, you know, maybe we could have done it better, or if we had designed it, we would have done this. And that was the impetus behind me uh, initially designing Lock and Load. It was just <clears throat> from playing board games and video games my whole life and always feeling like maybe there was something, something that could be done better. I don't know if I've done it better, but that was the drive, and that's uh, why I designed Lock and Load, and that eventually led to me opening this company, Lock and Load Publishing. So why don't you tell us a bit about Lock and Load, the board game, uh, and tell our listeners how it is, distinguishes itself from other... I mean, it's a squad-based uh, World War II game. It's a series now. Uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about it and how it distinguishes itself from other games that are similar? Yeah, I, I would really like to. Actually, it started off in Vietnam, with a uh, a lock and load game called Forgotten Heroes, which was Vietnam, uh, and then we did an expansion to that, uh, and then uh, Matrix Games uh, made me an offer to design Band of Heroes. Again, same system, lock and load Band of Heroes, which was World War II uh, for Matrix Games, and, and to this day I still work with them, and David Heath is a good friend of mine, uh, at some point, I decided to move on and, and, and publish not only Lock and Load, but numerous other games myself. What would probably makes Lock and Load different from maybe some of the other squad games around, I set out to make a game that, that people could play 
number one. I, I didn't want it sitting on people's shelves. I wanted it to be simple enough that people could play it. Number two, I wanted it to be interactive. I, uh, there are some tactical games out there where you can sit for an hour while somebody takes their turn or a phase within the turn, and that kind of stuff is no fun. And then two, I, or actually this would be three now, uh, three, I've, I've got this belief that realism isn't uh, anchored in tables and statistics and rates of fire and all that, that actually, although we all make fun of it, Hollywood at times gets closer to realism than the most theoretically accurate video game. And I wanted to show that in Lock and Load, that what combat is really about is all the crazy things that happen, that, that if you normally wrote into a board game, people would say, ah, that'll never happen. So Lock and Load has heroes, it has snipers, it has chaplains, it has beautiful nurses, it has events that are triggered when you move uh, into a hex or catch a view of a hex, something, you know, completely random, like a helicopter crashes and completely changes your mission. Or in the computer game, you discover a little girl in the middle of taking a town, and you have to save that little girl. That's the yeah, there's going to be a lot to say about that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what makes a difference? I, I think the randomness and the... Uh, the storytelling element within the game. I, I mean, there are events, there are... Uh, I really put the emphasis on the individual, even though it's a squad-level game. Um, you know, you were kind enough to give us sort of a preview build to, to work with and, and with, with Lock and Load. And, and I, I found that actually to be one of the more interesting things that you're doing, which is that you're sort of trying to tell sort of one man's story, at least in parts of it, um, and you're doing it, and can, can we go ahead and get in? Can we get into yeah. some of how you're doing the storytelling? Is that okay? Sure, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the way you're doing it is with sort of a series of uh, sort of like comic book panels, is probably the best mm -hmm. way to describe it, um, that have a sort of uh, gritty, hand drawn, coffee stained look to them, which is kind of cool. Um, which I certainly appreciated more than really crappy cutscenes, which is how we tend to get those kinds of story elements. Um, and, and so that was really cool, and I got that, but I, I actually found. Like some of the story elements, just di I I sort of didn't get. Like like, why do we have to save that girl anyway? Why why is the German soldier so concerned about saving the Russian little girl? He's concerned. Uh, the sergeant is concerned about saving the little girl because he has a daughter himself. And I, I mean, I think any of us. I, I think I don't know if I saw a little girl uh, that was frightened, that was standing next to a building with bullets chewing around her, I would want to save her, wouldn't you? Yeah, but not if you only give me six turns and i got to get across the bridge, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, but Huck, he doesn't know he only has six turns. <laughs> only you know that. But uh, that's the idea behind it. Is, I mean, the reason he wants to is because any of us would want to save no, her. I, I get that. I get that. It's just it is sort of interesting this juxtaposition because what you've tried to do with the with the board game with the video game is to very faithfully recreate the chip based board game experience, which I appreciate because I'm a huge ASL fan. That's like my my roots, right? So I've really dug the fact that I'm sitting here rolling dice. I really like that. But that part of part of the thing about the the tabletop war game experience, the tabletop tabletop squad experience in particular. Um, is that it's extraordinarily abstract. I mean, to the point where, you know, the ASL manuals are mythically big enough to kill small animals if you drop them by accident. Right? Right. I mean, they're, they're deeply abstract. Like, every moment of the experience is abstracted. You don't have to impute any of it. Um, and I, I sort of found it a little bit jarring to be going from that level of abstraction to that level of storytelling. And I sort, of, I sort of felt like there was a missing bridge. Am I the only one? I'm the only one talking. Did anybody else play this? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, 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 I played the game. I actually played the game uh, a couple of years ago at, uh, it was at Origins, Origins when I was yeah. Yeah, fortunate enough to, to meet Mark. And uh, Troy and I were there uh, with Matrix and... Uh, uh, got to look at the game. I don't find it to be jarring to go from the board game, um, from the board game to the uh, to the level of abstraction of the to, to the specific events like the the little girl event. Um, I just find it 
I, I really apologize, but I find it really cheesy. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean, to the to the point where it, it sort of doesn't. It does, it sort of kind of takes me out of the of the whole experience and, and makes me. Well, anyway, I'm not going. I, I just I had some problems with it, and I think I had problems with it the first time I saw it too. Um, but I mean, the the thing that I would comment about the game system, it is it really, and everybody who's listening should know that it really does uh, basically take the board game experience and really literally translates it to uh, the computer by you know you see the dice actually rolling in from the upper left corner of the screen and they roll and they, you know they give you a number. Uh, to, that you know resolves whatever attack you made or, or something like that your initiative role and uh, um, you know I, I, I really appreciate that that element um, but the thing about this kind of the thing about this kind of game is that uh, the, the board game uh, mechanic is uh, is meant to sort of involve the player by really sticking his face in the rules and um, uh, you know part part of the enjoyment of the board game is your own mechanical sort of manipulation of the rules and 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 implementing the rules yourself I mean that's what sort of creates your little game world and uh, you know I've played so much well I've probably played less ASL than some people but I've played a lot of ASL and uh, I have you know, every single module, every possible board. I have, you know, all sorts of third-party products. I mean, if, if you put all my ASL stuff together with all the, uh, you know, uh, third-party scenarios and... and uh, you, you could and find your medical counters. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I have, I have a lot of that stuff. And I, and I will say that, you know, part, a lot of the fun of ASL is actually bringing in things that you know about the game and implementing them and saying, oh yeah, here's, you know, uh, you know, this is, this is how you resolve, uh, you know, this uh, attack on this bunker with this, you know, uh, demo charge. And um, in, when you take that to the computer, it sort of, I mean, I felt a lot of the time like I was just hitting the space bar. Um, sure. And you know, it sort of takes you through the, and I can't believe I'm arguing against this thing that you know I I I am the you know ultimate board game sort of board war game geek. I mean, I spent a lot of time uh, in my game writing career uh, writing about this kind of stuff. So you know, I love it. I think it's fantastic. It's just it it, it does. I do see where people who don't really um, Aren't really familiar with the uh, with the with the game mechanics of, of board war games would would sort of not it, it would be hard for them to get into. I, I can imagine this being a game that you really only can appreciate uh, if you uh, if you've spent a lot of time playing board war games. And even then, you know the the whole the whole gestalt of the game is different um, than when you from playing uh, playing a board war game because you really the, the 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 game sort of leads you through all the phases sort of uh, it's almost like you're just kind of playing along a little bit um, but I, I, do, I do really like it the the problem is with the, with the build that we have right now did, Julian did you have any problem with um, uh, the the hexes being kind of uh, the the map was a little bit skewed. Um, my my units actually don't follow the actual hexes no, on the map. I didn't have that problem. I had some other problems. I mean, I had I, I quite frequently had the issue where I would just click on a unit to like just to look at it and see what units were available, and uh -huh. that would it would count as my turn when I hadn't done anything yet. So I mean, but but let's be fair. We're playing an early build, right? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah. There's, there's that number one, but number two, what you didn't ask me, Troy, is what's different about the computer game? You ask me what's different about my board game. And there's a lot different about the computer game. And what I think, and I can't think of another, and, and I've probably played all the same games you guys have through my reviewing career and on into, I'm a gamer right now, and, and I know I've probably played me, the same games. Okay. What's different is there's no turn-based, game that tries to replicate a board game field that looks like this. 
they all look Absolutely childish, right. uh, immature graphics. They either try to do too much or they haven't done enough, number one. Number two, stepping through all these, and this isn't, uh, I mean, this isn't a rebuttal. I'm, I'm just trying to make a point here. Stepping through the phases and watching the die roll and seeing how the modifiers work, you can turn off all that. I mean, you can you can just click on uh, you can just click on a unit and fire, and you'll get the result. I, I mean, if that's the way somebody wants to do it. So literally, you can boot this game up, and and any moron that's been playing computer games will know. Okay, I bet to select a unit, I double click it. Okay, and then I bet. To attack a unit, I click on it, and sure enough, you'll select a unit, and you will attack the unit, and you'll see the tracers go. In no turn-based game that that focuses on appearing to be a, a board game, uh, does do you have things like tracers? Do you have flamethrowers that literally spurt flame out from the hex? Do you have tanks that explode? When you when you detonate them and all that, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to create a a game that employs the things that I've enjoyed in games. I mean, there's there's no reason a turn-based game can't tell a story just like Call of Duty. You don't have to look down the right down the muzzle of an M16 to tell a story. And, no, I and yet, and, and and yet it seems like so many. Uh, designers and publishers now feel that way. They feel that to capture an audience, they need to go with more detail. They need to go with, you know, these huge, incredible scenarios, whether it's all the Pacific Theater or all the Eastern Front or something like that. And that kind of stuff, I would have seen sit around and play chess. Well, no, I, I, I'll agree with you there. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of squad-based strategy games in general, for precisely that reason, because, because even, even in the most abstract game of ASL or, or, or this, I do feel like I'm at least telling the story of a handful of guys that I can somehow relate to, right? It's one tank. It's not a unit of tanks. It's not, you know, the giant, you know, tank battalion moving across the desert, right? I, I, I really love that scale. So I, you've, you've got me sold there. And I do think that you can tell really interesting and compelling stories that way. I guess, you know, and, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to be harping on stuff from, from a preview that was, you were so kind to provide to us. But the disconnect I find is that, the experience of uh, my experience when I play a new big complicated board game, like you know, if I go buy something off the shelf, you know, from GMT Games that I haven't played before, right? I spend a good couple evenings with the manual and with the pieces before I actually even think about playing it with anybody. Maybe I'm unique. But why? No, but no, but but there's nothing fun about that. No, I I disagree with you. I disagree completely. I completely. I couldn't disagree with you guys. Well, wait, then let me finish finish what I'm saying then. Let me finish what I'm saying. So my experience sitting down, I mean, I played Lock and Load, but it was at a convention probably three or four years ago. I don't think it wasn't at Origins. It wasn't with you guys. But, I mean, the physical game I've played before, but but I don't own a copy, so I don't have a manual. I don't have the pieces to play with. So so when I'm immediately presented with (laughs) what is clearly somewhere – uh, you know, a spreadsheet full of terrain modifiers, a spreadsheet full of unit modifiers that are all very non... I mean, they're obvious in the sense that I'm a board gamer who's been playing World War II strategy games for a long time, so I get the basic ideas, right? Um, right. You know, I understand being in a stone building is a good thing if I'm trying not to get hit. Those things are obvious. But 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 things like, how does the melee system work? Why is my tank not blowing up buildings? Um, you know, there are reasons for all of these things which come out in that experience of sitting down with a big complex board game and reading all the re- or big complex war game and reading through the rules that is satisfying because you get an insight into how the game works and why the game works that way. And I feel like if you haven't sat down and played lock and load on the tabletop with the manual before, I feel like there I feel like you've got a big jump to make here to go from yeah, all I've ever done is played Call of Duty to now I'm going to sit here and what are the five numbers that are on this counter and which ones are the important ones and how do those relate to something about the terrain, which I don't quite understand what those are either. Right, I, uh, I, see, I see what you're saying. Of course, all that stuff will be in the user manual, but I, I mean, I still see what you're saying. And, and I'm not thinking that I'm going to 
went over a bunch of Call of Duty fans. I mean, I would be hysterically happy if I went over 5% of everyone that played Call of Duty. Frankly, this would be a a hugely successful game. Uh, And Call of Duty, especially Modern Warfare, is one of my, like, all-time favorite games, so I'm by no means dissing it. Uh, But my point is, when I I said, what fun is that? Uh, I know the guys at GMT. They're awesome guys. Uh, they have put out some of the best designs over the last maybe three to five years, stuff like Twilight Struggles, stuff, stuff like Combat Command. <coughs> That's all great. But slowly the board gaming world, and which this game is based on, is moving on, as Stephen King would say. And the challenge is not to create a game that, in, that will swamp you with its complexity, but create a game that will capture you with its cleverness. Anyone can write an additional rule. What's clever is figuring out a way to portray that rule without writing an additional rule. And I'm not saying that I can always do that, but that's my goal, and that's why I want to, you know, whether it's the board game uh, or whether it's this computer game, I want to try to make something that people can get into right away. Maybe I haven't succeeded. I don't know. Maybe I'll get it better before we're done. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I totally understand what you're saying, and and I actually agree with you that it's it's a lot easier to just throw in a whole bunch of game mechanics than to, uh, you know, sort of sort of pare down your uh, your design to the to the essential rules. I mean, I, I actually don't. I'm not a really concerned about you know you winning over anybody who plays. Uh, Players, uh, and I think maybe misunderstood what I was saying about that. People who who, who like first-person shooters aren't going to like probably like this game. Um, that's You're right. That's yeah. So, but that's, that's that's really that wasn't my point. My point about the about about board games is that board games depend on you uh, sort of implementing the mechanics yourself for your connection with the game, and like when you said. You can you can turn off all the modifiers and just click on things. And by the way, I, I think you, you're overestimating uh, how in, intuitive things are to people when they play uh, when they play uh, uh, computer games. Because the first first of all, it doesn't occur to me that the, that you double click on something to select it. I would never double click on something, and I wouldn't left click on something to attack it. I would probably right click on it. So you know, but if it didn't work to right click it, the next thing you would do is Left-clicking. Well, actually, yeah. the next thing I would do is probably, like, close the game and go do something else. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, my, my point is that, you know, I'm not, I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying that, you know, it's, it's people often overestimate just exactly how intuitive their own games are because they design them, so therefore that's how they would do it. But, I mean, I, I from experience, I've seen how, you know, I, I give somebody a game that I want to play with them and they totally can't figure out how the heck to play it. And uh, you know, then I have to explain to them, even though they've you know been playing games forever, just like I have. But um, my point really is that you know, implementing those those modifiers and for board games, the modify you know how how many modifiers you get for your uh, it's incredibly unsatisfying to just click on something and uh, you know get it you know either get a result or not get a result. Part of part of the part of the satisfaction is tallying up those modifiers and finding out, huh, you know, I'm in this stone building, so I do get plus three for this building, and, you know, I am at, you know, at a, uh, um, uh, at an advantage because I have, you know, a crest, or because my units are, you know, uh, fanatic troops, or whatever, you know, get actually manually adding those modifiers yourself. It's or, part of the satisfaction. Or, or at least knowing them ahead of time. Exactly. I, I have no idea what's going to happen until I yes. actually, like, attack. Well, well but, but, so, so if the game... Yeah, that's Yes, to be fair, none of that's in the manual, which hasn't been written, so that's yeah, not... Yeah, uh, I, I, but I understand, but the whole point is, you, I mean, we just talked about it. You just used the excuse that what's fun about sitting down with the user manual for the day before you play the game. And if you're saying you don't want to create that experience, you can't have it both ways. I don't mean to be combative, well, but... I, I, no, 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 it's okay. I don't want it both ways. How, how else are you saying it should be there? Well, I'm just saying, if I click on a territory... Show a picture of their face, and he goes, okay, now, 
be aware that what you're doing here is you're going to get plus three for the stone building. How else are you yeah. going to do it? Yeah, I like that. Every time I, you play I, I like Unity, that. it displays an Excel spreadsheet. I, I like that. I actually like all those those. I I, I like all the modifiers. I mean, I, I, no, I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting you yeah. dumb yeah. down the game at all. I'm just saying there's no way for me to to discern. I mean, maybe there is, and I just don't understand the shorthand yet. But there's no way for me to discern ahead of time what my benefit is or what my pluses and minuses are going to be with a tank oh, yeah. from point oh, A to point yeah. B attacking a particular unit that happens to be in point B. Yeah, well, that's okay. just no rules. But let me explain. That actually that's... is right there in the game. Maybe you're just not seeing it. When you click uh, when you click a unit and then you click on somebody to fire in the die roll, that, that uh, user display panel that pops up on the left-hand side, it not only says the die roll, it says the firepower. Right, after the fact. Well, yeah. Well, if you hover a mouse over a stone building, it's just stone building plus four. Plus four to what? I, 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 well, I, I mean, what's going to be plus no. forty or I two? I mean, yeah. well, <laughs> how many things are you going to add? To maybe, it's, maybe it's maybe it's takes more movement points to get into. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to come to Mark's defense on this. I mean, there is just there's to some extent you got to know. Look, the rules I spend. I, I'm. I, I understand. I have the reputation in this podcast of being an idiot, but I put a good three to four hours into this game in the last twenty four or forty eight hours. I still don't understand how tanks work. Still don't uh, get it. I, I, I mean, and and that's I, I'm like I said. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to going to kind of mark defense because I mean yeah I mean part of part of being able to, to enjoy a game is knowing how the game works and 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 if it's if if it's not you know uh, it, the game is a little obtuse but I mean the all I, I feel like you know just all if, if you're going to play a board game that in which little square pieces of cardboard represent soldiers and you know a six-sided die is able to incorporate the benefit you get out of being in the woods. I mean, at that point, there's a little bit of work that you're going to end up doing to try to figure out. But Mike, I get, I'm, I'm just, see, but this is the whole point I'm trying to make is that, is that part of, and, and Bruce, I think you were making the same point. Part of the experience of getting really deep into a heavy grognard pen and paper chit game is, That experience of knowing the rules, right? I still, every once in a while, yank the ASL manual off the shelf and sit there for an hour or two, flipping through off-board ordinance rules or whatever, because I'm an yeah, idiot. Which I, I still right. can't quite figure out. Well, <laughs> well that's why I picked that. But but my you point is, so sick, man. Well, yes, but but my point is it, that it, there's. You know what? But that's exactly. Wait, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Julie. Now, and I, I just want to I want to get on exactly what Mark says. Yes, it really is. That is, it really is kind of a disease. It's, it's this, it's this, uh, it's this certain type of person that enjoys that kind of involvement with, you know, historical subject matter and, you know, who likes these kind of, you know, very, you know, rigidly defined, complicated systems that recreate, you know, combat. I mean, that, that, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost pathological. I agree. And, and yet, those people exist, and this is a product that appeals to them, and that they on which they will spend money. So, you know, there there you go. I mean, it's like uh, like whatever that Gundam thing is that I'm not really quite sure what it is, but people like it, and so therefore they spend money on it. So, I mean, that's fine. What? It's 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 I think the the whole war gamer sort of phenotype is really fascinating, and I could go on about that for a long time, but I'm not going to. So. Uh, so back to back to your regularly scheduled Doug Julian Murdoch. <laughs> no, I guess I guess just my point is that that there's a big difference to me between playing a game, uh, particularly on the computer, playing a computer strategy game that replicates some of the chit experience. You know, that, I mean, how, there are a million of these games out there. We've all played them that you know have hexes and all that stuff and have little cardboard chits, but are using the computer to do a whole pile of math you would never actually bother doing in the pen and paper game. And that's great, and that's fine. I'm willing to sort of suspend my disbelief and not un- try to understand the math behind every single strategy game I play. Mm-hmm. But my point is that what you're doing here is rec- is recreating a pen and paper experience. Very clearly, right. very wonderfully. Yes. Wonderfully, yes. I will say yes. that. I love Absolutely. the art style. I love the fact that the maps look way better than my scan maps and Vassal for ASL boards and whatever. Right? Yes. That's awesome. I love the fact that the dice rolling mechanic is there. I love the fact that I see all the modifiers. I'm not suggesting you get... I don't want you to do anything bad with that. 
My point is that if what you're saying is you're trying to abstract the game from the pen and paper experience so that you are providing some more accessible story and you're making it move faster and all that stuff, then you can't also be expecting people to go spend three nights with the manual ahead of time. I, well, I, and, no, you can't actually go for both. And, and we all know as journalists that we've seen uh, that we've seen both things. We've seen games try to be everything, and by no means is Heroes of Stalingrad trying to be everything. But here's what I'm saying. Let's say somebody uh, walks by their, their dad, for lack of a better, you know, playing this game. and go, wow, that kind of looks cool because he just saw his dad blow up a tank, and the tank literally blows up, and he sees... Uh, you know, he sees uh, some of the counters on the screen, and, and to com- you know, they're much better looking counters to ASL. I mean, if somebody's listening to this and they've never seen Lock and Load and they're comparing it to ASL, it would be like comparing, uh, I, I don't know, I'm not going to diss ASL, I'm just saying it's in an entirely different graphical ballpark, okay? But if, if that kid that came by and saw his dad playing, and his dad had just spent the last night reading the user manual, so he knows every modifier, and he's really getting, you know, getting it doing this game. But his kid comes in, and his dad can flip the switch, so all it does is the kid double-clicks on his attacking unit and then clicks on the uh, target, and he sees results. Well, then that's awesome. I mean, if I brought somebody new in that doesn't want all that information... Then that's great. Only if you think your system makes such intuitive sense that it never creates the what-the-hell moments. And I'm sorry, that's not the case with your game, nor is it the case with, frankly, any squad-based, uh, complicated squad-based game I've ever yeah. played. Yeah, I, because, I agree with Julian. Because, you're way, because you're way overestimating take, the in, because, intuitiveness of your because, game. Because, you know, I mean, I mean, because I, I did this with my own units. I took a stack, a max stack of full-strength units with a hero in it into, you know, and I stormed a building and proceeded to have every single unit wiped out in melee by a half-squad. So that doesn't make me think, oh, great, I'm glad I didn't have any idea what I was doing. That makes me <laughs> the game's completely busted, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I understand yeah. why so that is that. a viable strategic call, but not if you don't explain it to me. Yeah, I, I, I'm agreeing with Julian. I, I think the game is not as, Mark, it's, I, I really don't think it's as intuitive as, as you think it is. It's, and then, so that does not make it bad. It's just that your, your, I think your assumption is flawed, but I, I want to. I, I feel like we're like ba- like really banging on. I really feel like we're badgering, and I didn't. Yeah, and, and it's. And well, let's let's say nice things about the game. Sorry about that. Hey, I, I don't mind at all. Say all the mean things you want. It's cool with me. Oh, I, mean, I guess the point is, I mean, we 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 invited Mark on the show because we are excited about you know lock and load uh, being on a computer game, yeah. and so I mean we should really talk about you know. Yeah. The the, the 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 great things about the game um, that we really like and that the I want to get to the idea of storytelling in games and and yeah. Mark's idea of storytelling yeah. in games versus a different kind of storytelling in games and <clears throat> the, the point I'm going to make here and once again it's going to sound like I'm attacking Mark's game I, I really like the what he's done with the this is the kind of game that I would play if I were playing a um, you know a squad based board game. Um, I really like the system. I, I hope to talk about the system a little bit. The whole idea of the variable initiative, um, but um, but there's a there's a difference between. So the way to, to explain what Mark has done, Mark has taken uh, you you basically get a scenario, and you get an objective, and then all of a sudden, and, and Mark sort of touched on this a little bit when he was explaining the lock and load system. In the middle of the scenario, something might happen. You get an event. And it basically changes the entire scenario, and the the that's gr- the first time you play, that's great, and that also works very well for board games where I might play that scenario once or twice a year. But when you play that scenario twenty times in two days, gets really old, and. The problem with that kind of scripted stuff, I think, is that the stories that you can really tell with with computer games are the ones where, uh, you know, it, they're they're a little bit more of, um, uh, you know, the the role the 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 units sort of take on their own little roles as part of the scenario. The things that you remember are, oh, 
you know, if if I were on the other side of that situation that Julian described, where you know he took a hero and a whole bunch of units and attacked a building, and then he got wiped out by a half squad in melee, then if if that were my half squad, I would be like, holy cow, world's best half squad. And so, well, I think I think that's one of the things that you know uh, Mark was talking about. You know, in in war, you Absolutely. do get the Audie Murphy that, moments, I, right? And I do appreciate that, but without context, those things. Seem like flaws, not features. Well, in context, what kind of context are you talking about? Understanding I mean, that those things are possible. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, well, they're, they're, they're that's always possible. They're, they're more likely than the probability-based things you'll see in many games. The, yeah. So they're they're we're still talking about knowing the rules, and I think that if you just if I mean if, if if Mark gave you a manual and you read the manual and then played the game. You'd know basically how it worked, and you would know what the possibility of being wiped out by the half squad was. My point is that. You know, if I play a scenario twenty times, it might go, it might work out twenty different ways. But if you stick an event that always comes up, right, you lose the effect of that event. You lose sort of the 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 um, the storytelling aspect of that event, and it just becomes part of the. I mean, you almost well, forget. But sure, but 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 you know, one of the one of the beauties of doing something like this on the computer is that. You know, scenarios are cheap compared to, you know, a new map board and a new scenario sheet isn't something you have to go spend five bucks for now, right? That's, well, but you have, somebody has to make it, though, and that's the, I, that's the I, problem. And I, and I get that, but my point is that you can, um, it, I, 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 I well, guess I, I come out on the other side of that, which is that that team makes the computer the natural place to try to introduce those kinds of elements. Okay. Well, let's bring Mark in. No, no, I'm here. Well, what is the place of story in wargaming? Clearly, you think that you know there are stories, there are war stories that can be told, and you think wargaming is the way to do it. Um, how do you conceive of story? How do you understand narrative, and why have you gone in this event-based way of doing it instead of the you know the dynamic? Uh, player-driven understanding of story that you see in most strategy games? Because uh, I'm a writer, primarily. And uh, <laughs> <coughs> that translated over into the initial lock-and-load game. Uh, I mean, it was very story-driven with this events and whatnot. And I think that people buy into something when they see a greater reason to what they're doing. In other words, in the German campaign, when there is a story, and, and only a very little bit of that story is in now with panels, but when there is a, a story that will continue through the campaign, you will buy into uh, leading sergeant and lieutenant works through the campaign. And, uh, of course, part of that buying into is, uh, I, I don't know if this wasn't in the uh, starting guide that I sent you guys, but the units can level up, for lack of a better way, as they progress through the campaign. You can choose certain, uh, y'all probably remember ground control, and, and though this is, is nowhere near the game ground control was, uh, you know, you can choose units and, and give them certain attributes. You can assign skill cards to them. You can increase their firepower, something like that. And all that, to me, is not necessarily so much the telling of the story, but the telling of the story is there to make so you will attach yourself to the unit. So you will invest some emotion into the campaign. And I think yeah. you do that with stories, and I think you do that by being able to upgrade and personalize units and, and make it a little bit of yourself, you know, in some strange way. I agree with every. I agree with all that. Right. I, I, I did see that you can do that, and I think that the uh, I think that that's a great way to, uh, you know, that's a, that's something that combat mission uh, that you know people will obviously you know bring up when they talk about computer you know s sort of s tactical war games never had and that's something that people you know complained about forever and ever um, so you know I do I totally like that aspect of the game um, I just so I, yeah I guess I just um, I just find it interesting that that uh, I I find the storytelling part the um, you know, I guess, I guess, I, I, I guess I'll argue with myself a little bit here and say that I don't see what you, you sort of constrict yourself by having, uh, you know, scenarios that play out a certain, you know, you have a certain objective every time. So what's the difference if you throw in a, a, a story event that's the same every time? I mean, you. So it's, I it's actually. All, it, so, go ahead. 
So I want to say, uh, right, first of all, I, I'm not really qualified to be here, Mark. I haven't really, I haven't looked at the game yet. So uh, I'm, I'm here because I'm curious. It's like it's awesome, and you really like it, then. <laughs> well, I haven't played it, but from listening to what you guys are talking about, I do think that there is a precedent for what you're trying to do, Mark. But I don't think we see it in Western video games. Uh, there's a whole genre of Japanese what are called SRPGs, which are strategic role-playing games, which I like. So I was Final a big tactics. Right, and I like those as an XCOM fan, uh, as someone who really enjoyed uh, this Western version of squad-based games uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the form of XCOM. And in Japan, they're doing a lot of these kinds of games, like you mentioned Final Fantasy Tactics. There's an amazing series called Disgaea. Uh, there was or a, a high-production yeah. value game for the PS3 called Valkyria Chronicles. And they play very much like XCOM. They're very much like uh, squad-based tactical war games, but they're full of storytelling. Um, mm -hmm. So, although I haven't seen what you're doing, Mark, I can see that there's definitely a precedent for it, and I'm glad to see someone in the West uh, doing that. So, I'm sorry, that was the only, was the only even, thing I could offer there. If I could even lick the boots of Final Fantasy Tactics, I would be... Uh, but, well, you're, you're, so, Mark, you talking about, you know, you have a helicopter crash or you have to save a little girl, that, that makes me think of, I think it was the Final Fantasy Tactics series, uh, there would be what's called a law that would be in effect during a certain battle, and that would be some weird, random twist uh, that gets applied to the rules for the duration of this battle. That sounds very much kind of like what, what you're well, yeah, and that's. Uh, I mean, I think they did the same exact thing in Jean d'Arc, too, which is my favorite recent entree into that genre, if, if you'll give it the same genre. I think it is. Uh, no, no, it, it absolutely is, is Julian. And didn't it did awesome awesome mind you at all of Jean d'Arc? Like, did you see some of that? Well, maybe I guess but I, but I see it now that you're saying it, but to be honest, I was sort of blinded by the chits because to me, I was playing World War Two. I was playing, I was playing a genre that is a very specific, burned into my DNA genre, which is I have little cardboard chits. They represent multi-man units in a squad-based World War Two game, and that's well, a very did. tight genre, right? You and may not have gotten far enough through it because there is there is a scenario that has a girl with a black halter top, so you. Just miss <laughs> <laughs> and a big sword. And then she turns into a demon and everything gets crazy? I, I played John Dark. I didn't get all the way through. I finally gave up after about 3,000 hours. I mean, Well, so Mark, were these, these kinds of games an influence for you? Uh, oh, absolutely. A absolutely. Stuff. <clears throat> I did play Final Fantasy Tactics the whole way through. Um, Parasite Eve 2, although you would certainly not call that uh, strategy. I mean, it's pretty much straight-up role-playing. Uh, and a uh, games, I, I guess, and I said this before, I don't think uh, a use of, of tactics and strategy is at odds with storytelling. And, and I don't think all, any of y'all would disagree with that either, but I, I kind of would. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Well, um, I, 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 I don't want to try too much over the point you're trying to make, because I, I want to hear this. Go ahead. I, uh, but I will just to, to say real quick, I do think that some genres have a harder time incorporating narrative than other genres. It's easy to make a shooter, which is played from a cinematic perspective with very cinematic stuff happening on screen. It's easier to tell a story with that than it is with, say, a real-time strategy game or, in your case here, uh, a sort of a board game, squad-based tactics uh, yeah. genre. Uh, so well, I, I think right. there is a unique challenge that you're facing. I'm glad to see you're facing it, and I hope it works for you, but I think you have a harder time than other genres have. But why would that be? Uh, I mean, for instance, for a number book is no is no worse at telling a story than a movie. Well, it, so it I requires a little bit more investment of time. Okay, I, I think Mark, why that would be, and and this is only my own pet theory, and I I would love to be wrong, and I would love to see someone do it well, but I think certain types of games play more like a sort of a cerebral puzzle where you're trying to master a system. Whereas other types of games are more strictly experiential. Uh, is that even a word? <laughs> Where it's, 
it's trying to recreate uh, an event or a plot or a, an image. Uh, and I think war games, real-time strategy games, and board games are more about systems than uh, experiential types of games, if that makes any sense. So I think yeah. you have a unique challenge, and I'm glad that you're trying to meet it. Uh, you know, we all know that uh, a lot of real-time strategy stuff from uh, uh, a lot of real-time strategy games have, have told stories, uh, some, some pretty famous stories, uh, StarCraft, you know, being one of the more obvious. And I don't know, we'll just see how this works out. I, I hope it works out well. I hope it, nobody's going to buy this game for the story, I don't, I don't think. You know, I mean, it's, it's never going to be a, a Final Fantasy uh, seven right. or anything like that. But, but I hope at least as people play through the campaign, it is something they find interesting that uh, uh, is one of the motivators to play the next mission. Yeah, and that actually, by the way, Mark, is the classic way that real-time strategy games have used story, is in the gameplay you don't get the story, but what the story is, it's something that exists between missions, and the mission, in a way, is almost an obstacle that you have to overcome to get the next bit of story. I'm, I'm well, the glad is definitely an obstacle there. I'm glad to hear that you were trying to build story into the gameplay. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to sound supportive. <laughs> I, I, that may not be coming you, across, Mark. You do. I'm I trying to say that I really support what you're doing. I hope it works. In the past, it's been problematic, and I'm curious to see how your approach works out. Uh, so I probably I should have looked at lock and load. I, I suck for not having done so. But I, I'm trying to be encouraging is what, what I'm getting at. Uh, I liked it. I really I yeah, that the, the chits are great and they're clear. Once you understand what the numbers mean. Um, and, you know, when the user manual got a little bit more clear, and I found a few, Julian and I found some uh, tip sheets on, on Board Game Geek, which helped, underst- helped me understand some of the modifiers uh, before yeah. anything happened. It struck oh, me just God. how difficult yeah. the game was. I've never played a lock and load system, but, you know, it is, it is a hard It's not something you can just jump in and understand. I mean, it's hard to, you can't do really any war game. But, you know, when my uh, tank blew up for the eighth time, and then realizing I had two different objectives on other sides of the map, and by the way, you have ten turns. <laughs> um, okay, oh, do I run option. through the machine gun fire? Do I do, 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 do I hope that I get that random helicopter event and something lands on me, but I can steal the wings and fly? You know, there's all this... Uh, it's just how difficult it was, but yes, I, I really liked how the game felt. Um, once I understood it, once I got into it, I, I'm big about... The, I'm, I'm with Bruce on the whole exposed dice roll thing. I love seeing the dice. This is one of the things that SSG does very well uh, in its games. It shows you the dice rolls, um, so that even so you can almost yeah. persuade yourself the computer I- isn't cheating. It helps you understand the math by seeing the dice. Uh, you I'm, intuit what the odds I'm are. I'm laughing for um, I, I think I you hope the dice aren't loaded. But more often, what and will happen is that players will assume the computer is cheating the die rolls because most players don't really understand that random doesn't mean it's necessarily something yeah. different or every time. You know, with bad rolls, they're like, ah, the computer's cheating the die rolls. Yep. <laughs> no, well, it's not. It's not. But it, hey, the I'm, ones of you that have played board games know. I mean, we've all played against opponents that the first time they have a bad die roll, they start whining. Uh, I mean, it's just human nature. So if they think it, if people play this game or many other strategy games uh, and an attack doesn't go the way they think it should, then they think the computer is cheating. And it's not just human nature, Mark. It's also a very convenient out for when you suck at a game. That's, that's always, you know, when I lose, it's the dice. Stupid dice. I can legitimately say that I suck at lock and load here as a Stalingrad. I really had to pay attention to a lot of stuff all the way through. Uh, I really appreciated that. It's a system I clearly have to learn. I'm with Tom that you know strategy games are really about learning systems, and I really want to learn this system because there's some neat math going on in there. Um, I like how exposed uh, the modifiers are and the dice rolls and all that. But that's what's, so that's why I just commented how easy that mission was because it was just a, almost a bit of a disappointment because I was looking forward to you know trying to get there in a difficult fight in ten turns yeah. instead of just driving now, my trucks played, along the street and getting there in two. You're a player, right, Troy? I've played it a couple of times. I'm, I'm certainly not on Julian's level. There aren't phases in lock and load like there are ASL. That's uh, usually a relearning process. Right. The having the different impulses, uh, you know, people, 
you have to, especially when you're playing face-to-face, and, and, and by the time we're done with this game, it'll be the same way. When you're playing lock and load face-to-face, you know, there isn't prep fire, and then you move, and then there's defensive fire. You're alternating impulses with your opponent. So if you fire and it, it doesn't take any effect, and then you move another, he- another stack of units to another hex, and then your opponent fires on that first stack and shakes them, he can then move in there and, and kill them all. And that really throws people for a loop because they're not used to both players being able to take the same action in the same turn. I yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. So, anyway. And I want to say that I really like the lock and load system, and I think it works well. It, it would really work well, and here's where I hope you know you guys don't don't sort of uh, give up like uh, um, I think um, uh, they did for War Plan Pacific, where you have a very you know very simple sort of at, at heart the mechanics I think of lock and load are simple the the um, all the modifiers and the various and, and the various uh, uh, ways in those way the mechanics are implemented are you know take a little bit of learning, but I think the fundamental idea of lock and load is simple. It would be awful if you guys didn't uh, implement some way to do that online, because I would love to uh, be able oh, no. to call up Troy and Julian and say, hey, you know, let's just play some lock and load, and then you can. What about me? Perfectly. You, you, <laughs> oh, you don't even. You didn't even bother to, to load up the the, the preview build. <laughs> so I'm assuming that you're gonna. You're just gonna. Um, uh, level up your uh, your uh, whatever blue blue wizard or whatever they have in the um, blue wizard. Yeah, wow, they have it in Final Fantasy. So you just keep doing that. Uh, there there will be internet play. As a matter of fact, by the end of September, God willing, there'll be internet play. That's the schedule right now. So you know, so far we haven't set a, a date yet that we've. Failed to hit. I mean, no, I mean it the other way around. We haven't set a date yet that we've hit, but very soon, uh, you know, like within the next thirty to forty-five days, there'll be internet play. So I'll uh, send send y'all the build and we'll play. So can you give a public statement on when you think the final game will be ready, or is Matrix still <laughs> saying don't tell anybody a release date? I, I say I don't know, and I don't have, uh, uh, you know, David. Uh, Heath, the owner of Matrix, is a real good friend of mine. So when we talk, we're usually talking about what movies we've seen lately, and then he'll just, towards the end, say how the game's going or something. Uh, and, I mean, he's never, like, put any kind of gag order on me because he knows I'm kind of a loudmouth anyway, and, and it might not work. Uh, the <clears throat> the schedule we have right now, I mean, I, I'll tell you all everything I know, and the schedule we have right now would have it out uh, before the end of this year. You know, and that's God's truth. Now, will it be out before the end of this year? I don't know. One of the biggest differences in being a journalist and being a a producer, I guess I'm a producer on this. I mean, I don't know what title you would say is. We all, I mean, all of us talking on this line know a lot about video games and a lot about board games. I mean, we've all played a lot. We've analyzed them. We've talked with producers. We've talked with product managers. We know a lot. But I tell you... It's still a lot daggone harder than you think. Uh, and, you know, we've even put out numerous board games at Lock and Load Publishing, but uh, it, it's a lot harder than you think. And it's whenever I think I'll have, we will have something done in a month, you know, it, it usually ends up being two. So, yeah, yeah I mean. I also remember one, one of the, when I was writing the, the uh, column uh, for Computer Gaming World and, uh, yeah, I spent yeah I spent a uh, I, sp- I spent one column talking about lock and load. Troy, did we go to Origins in two thousand and seven together? Yes, we did. Yeah. So at that point, um, I I reported that lock you know in six months, and I remember there was a big a big argument on on uh, on your on your message board by uh, some guy was like, well, is that six months from from the day that that uh, you know the art the the column was published. Or is that six months from the day that, that he wrote the column? So you know there was like this whole like one month and a half kind of uh, kind of thing going on there. Oh, you know you you didn't you, you said it was going to be out by does that mean December or January? And, and in the end, it didn't really matter because you know that was like December January of '08, and uh, you know we're over you know, a, year, a year and a half later. We're not or December December '07 January '08. Right. Here we are over a year and a half later, and the game's still not out. So, but I mean I'm not that's not to I'm not saying that to, to sort of um, 
to, to criticize or anything because it, it's just oh, this, not, this, this is the game's going to be that way. Yeah. When they see that, and by that I mean, golly, this game's a year and a half late. You you hear all the uh, or read all the vaporware talk and all that, and and I actually wish I could take every one of those posters and put them all on my shoulder for a week and just see how much daggone time this small team we have. With there's about seven of us spread across. I mean, Germany, France, California. Uh, here in Virginia, there's two of us. Uh, I mean, how much time we spend on this game, they go, dang, you guys are really serious about this. We are really serious about this. It just takes a lot longer than I ever thought it would. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, I've been looking forward to this game for a long time, and, and, and when it comes out, it comes out, and it'll be great, and I'll, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll look at it and play it then. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm totally not concerned about the delay um, I'm just very interested, in, and and I, I I hate to spend more time talking about that because I, I really I really was fascinated by you know how that how a game that go that is this faithful to a board game uh, sort of uh, paradigm I hate that word how that really feels on the computer and I, and it's it's really kind of funny how Julian's like but but it didn't tell me the modifiers until after I died I just can't stand it. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you do a really good, you do really good, like, put down to me. That's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? But I mean, I just, I just, I like that, uh, I like that how, how, you know, those things come up and, and, you know, the dice show up and, and yeah, you know, my guys are dead for the 800th time. And I really did, I mean, I really had to play that first scenario like one million times uh, to, yes. to get Thank past you. it. It was just so... You just didn't have enough turns, and and that's another thing I want to uh, just just mention that there's a there's also a uh, sort of a um, uh, a difference in design philosophy between having a, a game where uh, you're going you're solving a scenario puzzle because it's you versus the computer and you sort of have to figure out you know these what is the optimal way to do something and the scenario that's sort of designed to be a competitive you versus the other player. Where you can play that scenario sort of thirty times, and uh, and each time there's a there's a completely different solution because the the, the person that you're playing against has a, had a different uh, there's a, there's a scenario in in, in uh, ASL called Hill Six Twenty One that we used to play uh, when I was a lot younger. I think I was in junior high or high school, and it was this all these this this uh, you set up and there was this row of uh, Soviet infantry. And then you had like just a couple German guys on a hill, and uh, right. the Soviets uh, had like an SU-152, and the Germans got uh, artillery. It was like the mission they, in squad leader, it was the mission they introduced artillery in. Uh, and, is uh, oh, because the program instruction, huh? Well, yeah, yeah it, it was it was in the initial squad leader, and uh, then yeah. they you know they ported it to ASL, and yeah. you're right, it was an awesome mission, but you have to play it absolutely. Perfectly, the Germans win. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We never had the. We. I don't think we ever had the Germans win the game. Uh, We were also not very sophisticated when I was, you know, junior high and high school uh, playing these games. But um, uh, you know that kind of thing where uh, you're sort of think you're sort of responding to the to the uh, to the other player, but it was still also kind of like a puzzle uh, a puzzle scenario. So. yeah, I, I I'm looking forward to. I, I hope there are enough scenarios in in um, in uh, in lock and load that end up being good for two players, where it's not just uh, because there really is a design philosophy difference between one guy being the attacker and the other guy just sort of uh, you know the computer being the defender. And it's a lot. I think it's a lot easier to write AI for for a scripted thing like that than having a scenario that's really uh, good for two players. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and and that's our intent. Uh, room uh, scenarios like uh, uh, room at the end uh, will probably work right now. Two player. Uh, I mean, once we get the code in place for the internet play, stuff like uh, the first uh, scenario in the German campaign. No, I mean that's specifically set up for the Germans. And you're right. It. it you know, it may be too hard. It, it, it may be too hard. It, it, it may need to increase by a turn because it's it's tough getting across that bridge. Uh, oh, he's going to give us an extra turn. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, no, it's uh, good. I, I I I just can't wait to play this against somebody else online. That's that's basically where I'm coming from on this. It won't be too long. Uh, All right. Well, when it when it when that functionality is in, Mark, we'll uh, we'll get on and uh, and play test some of this stuff. Oh, absolutely. That that'd be a lot of fun. I mean, it should be. It, it obviously won't be a bandwidth hog. Mark Walker, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Much. I enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Mark. It was great. Absolutely, totally great. I've been jotting down notes the whole time. I've got right, some great good. ideas. Good. Say good night, guys. Get up, get down. one, one,